Welcome to the Five Smooth Stones podcast with Daniel Watts, the director of the EGM Institute. My school age years were characterized by mischief, honoriness, and a certain kind of experimental gregariousness, you might call it. (laughs) One of my favorite pastimes was riding my bike, and it was a pretty cool bike in that day. No one under the age of 55 will understand what I'm about to describe, but my bicycle had a slick on the back, a sissy bar, a purple plastic-covered banana seat, and monkey bars. Even if you have no idea what any of those are, you must admit the description sounds pretty awesome for a young boy. I loved riding my bike, and I had a style all of my own. The dad had not sanctioned. I liked to ride my bicycle in the summers with no shirt and no shoes. Dad explained the reasons for his policy. For my own safety and protection, I had to wear a shirt, shorts, and shoes at all times. He reminded me of the shirts, shorts, shoes policy every summer. (laughs) And these details were duly noted. As a result, when dad was at home, I fully complied with the shirt, shorts, shoes policy. But as you can imagine, when dad was gone, it was shorts only, baby. (laughs) One, One warm summer afternoon when dad was at work and mom was in the house, all of the boys in the neighborhood decided to set up a series of bike races. So let me just kind of set the scene Old Halls Ferry Road in St. Louis, Missouri was the main road and Evelyn Air Place branched off. It was our street from it and came into an intermediate and kind of pretty steep downhill stretch of about 100 yards. The street leveled out for maybe another 100 yards at the bottom of the hill and to the left was Evelyn Air Drive that circled around until it merged back into Evelyn Air Place. My buddies and I lived on that circle. Even if you can't draw a map based on that description, you're still getting the point of the story. Semicircular Evelyn Air Drive was a design feature of our race course. We'd start at the top of the hill and then race down the hill and then around the circle. We'd have racing heats of two racers at a time and the winner would advance to the next round. I was in the first heat with one of the Wilson boys who had an old Schwinn bike. My new bike and my fearlessness were guarantees of victory. At the end of the countdown and the shout, go, I took off in a blaze. I'd built a solid lead by the time I got to the bottom of the hill where I suddenly sensed trouble. Someone had been washing their car. Water had run down the street to the bottom of the hill. So now a small stream of water was running across the street at the corner where we had to turn onto the circle part of the race course. I hit the water in the middle of my turn and my back tire slid completely out from underneath me. Taking my bike with it, I flat in a flash, I was just sliding down the asphalt road at a high rate of speed with, of course, no shoes and no shirt. I'm not sure for how, how far I skidded, but it was far enough to tear up my chest my stomach, I had asphalt embedded in my body and my chest all the way down to my knees. My toes and feet were bleeding as well. I jumped up screaming and immediately 
ran into the house crying for my mom in medical treatment. That was the day I learned that I should not ride my bike without a shirt and shoes. Experiential learning is such a reality of life. We all know it from our own life, and we see it throughout the Bible. Our daily life is filled with experiences, and the truth of God's word helps us to interpret and to understand those experiences. We learn the truth of God's word, and when we experience that truth in everyday life, it becomes a deeper and abiding reality. Jesus understood that we human beings learn from our experiences, and his awareness of this principle is so evident in his ministry. Now, I'm not going to suggest that Jesus always used experiential teaching methods. However, I am going to suggest that experiential teaching was a characteristic feature of his ministry. Jesus used a variety of teaching methods, many of which have been written about for centuries. We may think of Jesus and his parables, for instance. Email me if you're interested, but scholars who identify numerous teaching methods of Jesus, they write whole books about it, routinely ignore experiential teaching. In fact, I've yet to find anyone who identifies experiential teaching as one of Jesus's teaching methods, even though numerous examples exist. Let's just look at three of them. In John 6, we read Jesus's well-known proclamation, I am the bread of life, in verses 35 and 48. He referred to the manna God provided his people every morning in the wilderness, in verse 49, and contrasted it to the everlasting spiritual sustenance found in him and in the giving of his flesh, in verse 51. This powerful passage of scripture follows shortly after Jesus fed the 5,000. Those men, women, and children had shared a large group experiential activity. Now, when Jesus spoke of himself as the bread of life, they readily remembered the taste and experience of that amazing day. The Lord engaged the audience cognitively after having engaged their senses of taste, touch, and smell with a meal of fish and bread. Jesus wanted his Jewish audience to learn from that miraculous experience that he is their ultimate provider and the material sustenance is far less important than spiritual nourishment. Jesus provides both. And then Luke 5 tells of Jesus's calling Peter to become his disciple, to follow him, to leave behind his fishing business and become, quote, a fisher of people in verses 4 through 11. In this passage, Jesus spoke a prophetic word to Peter regarding his change of vocation. If Peter accepted Jesus' call, he'd give up everything he knew in order to be one of the master's disciples. Immediately before he verbalized the invitation, though, Jesus provided Peter with a dramatic experiential activity. Jesus the carpenter told Peter the fisherman to throw out his nets. Having caught nothing all night, when fish usually bite, verses 4 through 5, Peter thought the suggestion foolish, but he did what Jesus said anyway. He soon, soon saw that the nets were filling, 
And when Peter and his buddies hauled in the nets, the load of fish was so heavy, it nearly sank two boats. In verse 7, completely overwhelmed by the experience, Peter fell at Jesus' feet. This amazing experience prepared Peter's heart to accept Jesus' calling. And then closer to the cataclysmic events at Calvary, Jesus involved his disciples in an experiential activity that has become a cherished and sacred Christian tradition. In John 13, Jesus explained the importance of servant leadership. Again, Jesus did not limit his teaching about essential elements of Christian leadership to simply speaking the truth. He communicated those truths after having provided his disciples with an experiential activity they would never forget. Every Christian knows the story of Jesus taking a towel and a basin of water and an act of beautiful humility, washing the feet of his followers in verses 4 and 5. This action was so shocking that Peter initially resisted it in verse 8. Yet since the disciples had just had their master do the work of a lowly servant and wash their feet, Jesus' spoken words calling them to do the same must have had a profound impact on them. I can't imagine how they must have felt. Just reading this passage of scripture has had an enormous impact on me and many people I know. Jesus fed the 5,000, filled Peter's empty net almost to the breaking point, and washed his disciples' feet. Each event taught the disciples the lesson that Jesus then spoke. His words underscored what each unforgettable experiential activity taught. I've experienced this in my own ministry life. My colleague, Ryan Callahan, was with me when we stepped into the office of the foundation that had generously supported Every Generation Ministries in our startup days. We were there to provide a ministry update, report on the use of the funds already received, and we hoped submit another grant proposal. I took a deep breath. I was well aware that this organization is one of the largest Christian foundations in the United States that supports huge and well-known ministries. On my previous visits, I'd been kind of intimidated by the Tony office decor and my own insecurities. Every Generation Ministries was very, very small, and I knew the vast global reach of the major organizations that the foundation supported. My colleague was as nervous as I was when we sat down at the table with the program officer assigned to work with tiny ministries like ours. Just as we kicked off our report, the door opened and in walked the executive director of the foundation. He greeted us warmly and sat down to listen. I was shocked and stoked. <laughs> when we finished our presentation, the two of them had a few questions about the ministry and its finances and ministry work, and the meeting seemed to be going well, but then the executive director asked if Ryan and I could step into his office. The way he said it sounded kind of ominous and made me nervous, but you know, you really couldn't say no. We walked behind him to his office, and he directed us to two chairs. When we sat down, he took off his sport coat, laid it on the back of the chair, and then knelt down on the floor in front of us. He pulled a shoe shine kit from near his desk, and began polishing my shoes. 
To say I was shocked doesn't even begin to express what I was feeling. I'll never forget that experience. As he worked, he explained how important servant leadership is to him. He said something like, people who give away money can send the message that they're more important than the people receiving it. And we think differently, he said. We think it's important to send a message that we're all servants of Jesus Christ. He moved to Ryan's shoes and continued, something like, all of us are serving the Lord. We're through our giving and you through your equipping of children's workers around the world who are serving in their churches, and we're all God's servants together. I couldn't believe what was happening. Then just when the awkwardness peaked, he said, when I did this last week with an Indian pastor, I realized too late that he had on sandals and white socks. I'm afraid I may have ruined his socks. (laughs) We laughed together. He stood up. The awkwardness had been broken. He prayed for us and sent us on our way, having blessed us with an incredible experiential lesson about servant leadership. That experience was over 15 years ago, and I, as I just said, I'll never, ever forget it. No wonder experiential teaching was a method Jesus used, and no wonder Moses advocated it in Deuteronomy 6. Experiential teaching engages the mind and the senses of the learner in an extremely powerful way. Thanks for joining us this week, and we look forward to you being with us again next week in this, on this, at the same time for our Five Smooth Stones podcast. To learn more about experiential teaching methods, check out our website at www.egminstitute.org. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Our next Five Smooth Stones podcast will be this same time next week. To learn more about life-changing children's ministry, check out the EGM Institute website at www.egminstitute.org.